Hey everybody, welcome to Renewing the Center. It is good to be with you. We are going to be reading from Luke 9 today out of the Gospel Selection in the Lectionary. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, we have been marching right on through Luke and it's been a lot of fun. And today there is a kind of turning point in Luke's Gospel. We see Jesus in a moment of clarity and the disciples see him in a moment of clarity. And I think this is uh, good for us, especially just a couple of days out from the beginning of the Advent season. So I'm going to read, and we'll pray, and then we're just going to jump in and see what we can see. Luke 9, beginning in verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, The Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and my words, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying... The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to them. And they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. Then a voice had, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through the Bible, Lord. We are right on the cusp of the Advent season, this time where we're called to watch and wait to prepare for you. And I pray that you would speak to us today about Jesus, to show us who you are, Lord, in a way that would help guide us as we walk closer and closer to Christmas, to the birth, the Feast of the Nativity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love this passage because... One of our other Gospels actually gives us a little more context clues. They say that when Jesus takes his disciples to the place where he asks them these two critical questions, who do the crowds say that I am, and now who do you say that I am, that one of the Gospels tells us that he goes with them to Caesarea Philippi to ask these questions. Now, Caesarea Philippi was a pagan place. It was outside the normal stomping grounds for Jesus and the disciples. And so I find it interesting, at least, that before Jesus asked them two very important questions. One is, how am I perceived by the, the bigger crowds? And then the other is, but you, how do you see me? He, he gets them out of their routine. 
And this has got me to thinking. I'm actually recording this podcast from the mountains. I stepping out of my normal routine, the normal grind of the city, to be in a place to reflect, to think deeply, to see things differently. And I think that's exactly what a disruption in our environment or our routines can do for us. By getting you out of your normal routine, you you can sometimes see true things, things that are right under your nose with fresh eyes. And you don't have to go to the mountains. Sometimes it's just going and sitting in a park or mixing up your your uh, schedule for a day or going for a walk uh, to end your day to get yourself out of the kind of monotonous day, day-to-day grind. Well, Jesus gets his friends out and he asks them two very important questions. Who do the crowds say that I am? And their answer is really important, y'all. They could have just said, you're like a Roman politician, or you're just a great preacher, or um, you heal people. Uh, But what do they do? They liken Jesus to the prophets of the Old Testament. John the baptizer, Jesus's cousin, was the last of the old guard of prophets, Elijah. Jesus is seen and perceived as a truth teller, as a person who would call people like you and me to look at our lives, to reevaluate our lives. I mean, what was the message of John the baptizer? It's actually the principal message of of Lent, Um, even Advent. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight your pathway. Like what John was saying there is almost like God wants access to you, but there's rubble in your driveway. Clear the driveway. Prophets told people to look at their lives. Jesus was perceived as a prophet. And I think it's really important for us to consider this because if we want to have a rightly calibrated understanding of who Jesus is, we need to see him how people saw him. They didn't just see him as a comfort speaker. They saw him as a truth teller, a person who would call us to consider our lives and amend our lives. And this is like, I think, connects to some of what we've been considering over the last number of episodes, which is this invitation to look at our lives and name our sin without shame, uh, without guilt, without self-hatred, but to name our sin because Jesus wants to come close to us as we amend our lives. He wants to gain better and better, clearer and clearer access to us. So who do the crowds say that I am? Jesus asks. And then he takes the question closer to home. He asks these friends of his, who do you say that I am? And I love how God tends to work this way. He moves from more general to, to more specific. And Peter hits the nail on the head. He says, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And it's interesting to me that it's only once it's clear that we're all on the same page, that they knew who he is, that he's the savior. He's the one that's come to redeem Israel. It's only then that Jesus begins to speak openly to his friends about the cross. He begins to speak of suffering and death. Why do you think he waits until they see him for who he is? in part because they will be following him where he goes. The disciples were going to walk down a road and follow him. And Jesus waits until they know who he is. And then he says, this is where we're headed. And the way we know that this is true is that immediately after saying those words about the Messiah suffering and dying, Jesus looks at his friends before he goes to the cross and he says to them, pick up your cross and follow me. So he basically is saying to them, where I'm going to go, you're going to go. I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer. 
I'm walking in obedience. You're being called to walk in obedience. And y'all, I just want to say the same calling is true for each and every one of us. It's right in front of us. Jesus looks at us and he says, I want you to give up your life. I want you to surrender the myth of control. And I just want to say it again. The fact that we oftentimes spend our lives thinking that we're in control, it's a lie. It's a myth. It's not true. I mean, all it takes, right, is a diagnosis or a relationship to go south or something unexplainable and painful to happen. And we realize what's always been true, which is that we're not really in control of our lives after all. And so what Jesus is saying here is I want you to learn how to open up your hands and hold things, life itself, outcomes, what you thought was going to happen. I want you to learn how to hold those things loosely. And this kind of paints this picture for us of being open-handed versus closed-handed. When we try to control and hold on. And the disciples, this would have been very disorienting for them. Because they probably thought for a minute, like, maybe Jesus is like a liberator or a politician that's going to go, you know, ascend into power. And we're going to be with him, front row seats. And now he's saying, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. You must also choose to pick up your cross and follow me. All he's saying to them is what he's saying to you me. He's saying surrender. Let go of the myth of control. Follow me. And when I think of Peter and James and John, and they're the three people mentioned here at the end of this passage, all of those guys suffered remarkably for their faith. Peter was crucified upside down. James was run through with a sword. John, his brother, lived longer than all the rest of the disciples, presumably, but he was boiled, burned, exiled to starve to death on Patmos where he wrote the Revelation. These guys did pick up their cross. They did follow Jesus. And you're probably not going to be run through with a sword or boiled and burned. And yet, what does it look like for you to say yes to God? I I think in my own life, I'm learning to embrace the small sufferings that come with fidelity to Jesus and to be able to look at them as obedience Maybe it's a little bit of a sideways glance from a friend because you um, aren't having your fifth drink. Or maybe it's a choice you're making if you're a student at school that puts you a little bit out of alignment with some of the kids who are going in a different direction. It's those small sufferings, not cutting a corner at work. Um, Gosh, there are just a million ways that I think we're invited to just learn how to say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves in small daily ways that will prepare us for the big day. This text is so interesting in that after Jesus gets so real with his friends, after he tells them the truth about their story and his, he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain, and he shows them who he really is. We get a glimpse here of the glory of Jesus on what's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And I just find it so cool that after telling them, I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Life is not always going to be easy. He then shows them who they're really dealing with. He gives them a glimpse of how beautiful and powerful, how awesome he is. And I just love that. It is so important to get to the mountaintops every now and again. It's really important, like Caesarea Philippi, to get out of your normal everyday environment so that we can see things with fresh perspective, new eyes, if you will, so that... We can come down the mountain, leave Caesarea Philippi, and enter back into normal life. And I just love the fact that Peter, you know, he shows up as a human being. (laughs) He sees this beautiful mountaintop experience and he says, hey, why don't we just build some structures so that you three people can just stay here forever and presumably we can stay with you. Peter just wanted to prolong the mountaintop experience. But y'all, 
this truth telling, this revelation, and this mountain of transfiguration are so that when we and the disciples go back into normal life, we'll go back with a kind of clarity that will see us through. We've been looking a lot lately about um, how God wants us to see things clearly so that we'll be brave, so that we'll see our circumstances as uh, temporal and the rootedness and groundedness that we have in Jesus as being permanent. Well, here I think we see that in a very clear way. Jesus wants Peter and his friends to be able to carry clarity and reality down from the mountain, back from their field trip into normal life. And I'm just going to tell you that's what he wants for all of us. He wants you to carry clarity from church into your job. He wants you to hold the clarity you gain in a devotional moment, maybe listen to a podcast like this, and pull that clarity into the reality of the valleys because there are valleys. We live most of our lives in the valleys and there's suffering to face. There's sacrifice to engage. And yet Jesus says, I am who I am and I want you to walk with me and follow me. And that's our call. God bless you. See you soon.